Thank you. <laughs> it's always strange without the protection of the acoustic guitar and the uh, microphone in front of me. I suddenly feel very exposed. Um, and if, all, if it goes terribly, I'll just break out into song and we'll worship Jesus through song, yeah? Brilliant. <laughs> Good morning. Well, it's my pleasure to be able to speak this morning. Uh, as, as I tell myself again and again, it's my pleasure to speak this morning. Um, as you may know or may not know, or perhaps you're visiting this morning, um, we are now in our second week of our summer teaching mini-series, which is titled The Only Necessary Thing. Uh, we've been, last week, well, Jez kicked us off with The Only Necessary Thing for us individually and what that looks for us in our lives, in our day-to-day lives. We looked at the passage in Luke 10 where Jesus comes to Mary and Martha's house and he sits with Mary and the other friends around the room. And Martha comes in and she says, hey, Jesus, don't you care that my sister's not helping me? Come and sit. And Jesus says, no, you've got your priorities wrong. Well, I want to talk to us a bit about that this morning, but what that looks like for us corporately. Um, Jez showed us last week, that as we gathered, and I actually I said a bit in, in the worship time there, but as Jez showed us last week, that as we sit under Jesus' feet, as we sit at his table, as we sit in his presence, as we put Jesus first and lift him up and have him as the, as the reason we meet, there is a rest that we can know personally. There's an individual rest and a comfort that even in the midst of our busy lives that we can know. And I want us to see that that is the same for us corporately this morning, that the only necessary thing, again, is Jesus. There's no, I don't want to be many misconceptions, but there's no trick here or anything, it's Jesus. The only necessary thing is Jesus. That when we gather together in our community, the church, in our community, in our midweek prayer events, in our community, in the groups that we attend, and the lives that we live, in our community, Jesus is the only necessary thing. Um, we need to be a community. I would love it that we are a community. And actually, I feel this morning that I'm already speaking to something that's already taking place here. And I felt like I'm just drawing out the obvious. But we need to be a community that centralizes on Jesus every time we meet. I, um, I lead worship, as most of you know. And about six years ago, I, was, I said I had the privilege. It wasn't so much a privilege. I was leading worship in a youth context over in Eastbourne at Hampden Park. A big venue, a room about the same size as this, maybe a bit bigger. And, uh, and there are probably about the same number of kids that are between the ages of 11 to 15 as there are adults in the room at the moment. So there's about 40 or so. And, uh, and we'd been rehearsing since six. I got there, I left my wife Abby at home with our oldest son, who was like one at the time. Uh, in fact, it had been a couple of months. I left her at home looking off to leave. And I said, right, I've got to go and lead worship. Prioritize this time thing. And this is going to be an excellent time being able to help these young young adults, young kids, set their focus on Jesus, get to see Jesus. And I was, I was really excited about it. I had a big band for it, so much bigger than we have usually here on a Sunday morning. I had electric guitar, I had bass, I had drums, I had vocal team, I had two vocalists and myself. And it was really exciting. The, light, the lights were down, so it was an intimate setting. There's sofas at the back of the room, so it's look, it looks cool. right? If you're a youth, you're like, yeah, this is cool. And, uh, and so I turned up to lead worship, and we'd been rehearsing for a couple of hours. And about five minutes into our second song, we're doing the song, Our God Saves, Our God Saves, There is Hope in His Name. You all know it. We sing it a lot. And I'm halfway through this song, and I look in front of me, and I've got these group of boys who suddenly start throwing punches at each other. Actually, I realized, as I was telling this story, this isn't any different from a Sunday morning here, is it? It's just it's my kids that are fighting on the front row. I was like, oh, hang on a sec. 
But so we got this group of boys. I'm in a worship, rehearsed for two hours, super excited, going to lead these kids into the presence of Jesus, get Jesus elevated and exposed in this room. And suddenly these kids are just like, punches everywhere. I'm thinking, oh my goodness, more kids are joining in. The further I go through the song, I'm thinking, this is not working. I look to the, I was thinking, okay, so in my worship mind, I'm like, so what do I do? Is there a link that I can draw between fighting and spending? We fight to spend time with Jesus? I don't know. So I'm, as this chaos is breaking out of the room, I look to the back of the room, and we've got these sofas, like I've said, and sat on the sofa with these girls who are now fighting over a pillow. Like, who wants the cushion? And are you kidding? What is going on in this room? I've got girls fighting at the back. I've got boys fighting at the, in, in the front row, and I've got youth leaders going, uh, trying to conceal their laughter. And you know, I just thought, you know what, scrap this. This is not worth it. This is not working. There is no way of rescuing this mission. There's, there's no way of redeeming this situation. So I went, all right, that's it, guys. I can see this isn't working. Let's hand over to the speaker. And I left him to deal with the problem. Um, that is a funny story of what, I would, what Jesus is when it's not centered on Jesus. When actually it's just centered on the room and the chaos and kids just gathering because they want to be with each other. Jesus was not central in that situation. We, we live in a society where individualism, our individualistic culture is key, is king. We live in a society which celebrates what we as individuals feel, what we as individuals want to express. We live in a society where culture, or community rather, community is taking less of a, it's less obvious. I think I, I just, we've got a very good road that we live in actually, where it's a really good sense of community. But, um, but I'm aware that more and more of us work from home, more and more of us do our shopping at home on our computers, more and more of us find our friendships on our Facebook pages, more and more we don't go out to meet people, we don't go out and spend time hanging out with people. And I want to emphasize this morning that community is a God-given thing, it's an amazing thing where we get to enjoy, enjoy fellowship with one another, but it's an amazing opportunity where Jesus gets to be central. We can see this amazing thing that happens to a community when Jesus is central. Um, community is important. In community, we realize that we aren't the only ones that matter. In community, we realize that there are other people out there and their concerns matter as well. And it's in this community that Jesus can be found. I believe that we all long for that community. I think for myself and our family, I would love that my sons grow up in a place where it's an amazing community, the church where they can know one another, be known by one another, and search and love Jesus together corporately. There's something incredible, there's something powerful, isn't there, in a gathered community that is centralized on one thing. And I would love for my children, I'm sure you would love for your own children and your families to know that. Well, God's plan for community is the church, and God's rescue plan for the world is through the church, God's community. And when Jesus isn't central in that community, we get distracted by other ideas, we get distracted by other ways of doing things. Perhaps actually we need to reach into that area, and perhaps we need to do that and run that event and do this. When Jesus is perhaps not central, we can get disillusioned and relationships can break down. And suddenly we find that we, we haven't got anything in common. We don't know how to fix this because Jesus isn't central. And relationships go, well, relations, that happens, doesn't it? Yeah, community 
without Jesus at the middle can become dysfunctional when we no longer serve one another and we forget to serve the wider community, the town. So I want to put it to us that a Christ-centered community is important. It's important for us as a young church, six years old now, that we understand the value of community and we understand the value of a Christ-centered community, particularly as we buy our own building in the center of town, particularly as we make our presence known, make our presence obvious, make our presence felt. We want to be a community where Jesus is central, where Jesus is the only necessary thing. Every time we meet, midweek groups, groups on a Sunday, Jesus is the one. So last week, Jez opened up Luke 10, and we're going to jump in there again just for the sake of reminding us, and I think there's a few things we can draw from there, the beginning and at the end. Um, so I'm gonna, if, I don't think we've got any readings that are going to come up on the screen. So if you've got Bibles or phones with your Bible apps on them, feel free to open them up. We'll start in Luke 10, verse 38. And it starts with this. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village. And a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to Jesus and said, Lord, Do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. The Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. I've said over and over again, the only necessary thing for us corporately, as this gathered community, is exactly the same as it was last week for us as individuals. It's that we center around, it's that we gather around Jesus. He is central in Martha's living room in that passage. He's got his friends and Mary, they're all gathered around Jesus. He is central in our lives and he is central to this church. I believe that there are three things that a community like Mary that regularly sits at Jesus' feet starts to reflect. There are, re- there are three reasons that this is important. As we sit at Jesus' feet, we are united under him. We become united. As we sit at Jesus' feet, we are directed by him. He directs us. And as we sit at Jesus' feet, We are empowered through him. So we become united under Jesus. We are directed by Jesus and empowered through him. That is why I believe gathering with Jesus at the center is key. Um, It's helpful for us as we try to apply this and work out what that looks like for us in this context, that we go into the early church and see what it looked like for them. Once Jesus had died, risen, and gone up to heaven to be with his heavenly Father, It leaves us a great position. We say, well, what did they do? How did they deal with Jesus no longer with them in person? What did they do every time they gathered? Did they continue to gather? And what did it look like? So I'd love us to do that. We're going to go jump around Acts a bit. Um, uh, There are a few things that I want us to see. And again, they won't come up on on the screen, but I'd love us to see how Jesus unites, directs, and empowers his church. 
So we'll start in Acts 1. And if we read um, in Acts 1, verses 12 to 14, it says this. They, so they've just seen Jesus ascend into heaven. And they return. It says, They returned to Jerusalem from the Mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, about a Sabbath day's journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. Peter, John, James, and Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, and Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, Judas, the son of James. All these, with one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. So, at the very start of the early church, Jesus just gone, literally just gone. We see straight away they come together. We see that together the women are included, which would have been contrary to the culture of the time. We're in a time where women are left at home to raise the family, to look after the children, to provide and care for that home setting. Here we've got them gathered along with the men. So women are included, and we see that they are gathered together with one accord. They've got something that they're going for, one purpose. Jesus unites us. At the very start of the early church, we see signs of equality and we see signs of purpose. In this group, there are people who would otherwise, outside of the kingdom or outside of Jesus' rule and reign, these are people who would otherwise have been not, you wouldn't find them anywhere near each other. So you've got the poor, uneducated fishermen. You've got wealthy tax collectors or Roman sympathizers of the day. And then you've got them sat next to zealots who were Jewish and wanted everything to do to get rid of the Roman sympathizers. And then you've got women in there as well. So you're mad. In this, just in this section that we've just read, two, well, two verses, 12 to 14, you've got a whole group of people that are mixed up that would not belong to each other, would not hang out with each other, other than under the rule of Jesus. They are gathered together seeking Jesus. In my experience, I've never, I've never come across a community like the church. Uh, I've never, I play uh, roller hockey twice a week. Those of you who don't know roller hockey, it's the same as ice hockey, except we're on wheels, not blades. Same rules, same kit. Uh, we play in a rink that looks like an ice hockey rink. The only difference is there's a vinyl floor. Um, I gather with 25 other guys twice a week to play this game, and we play up at Guildford at times uh, in a league. And... Uh, and we all have one thing in common, and that's roller hockey. And actually, I'd say we've got more than one thing in common. We're all guys in, under the age of 40, and between the age of 20 and 40. We're all guys that actually, funny enough, we're all laborers, all outdoor workers in various contexts. And we've got different nationalities, but there's still something in common. In fact, there's quite a lot in common. You, you could say, well, they're all male. They all love ice hockey, and they all love roller hockey. They all love this sport. They've they got similarities and interests. In this group, there is nothing that you could say, well, well, you could say, no, I've got nothing. There's, there's nothing in common with this group of people that you've got in this book. Only Jesus. In fact, even in my family, I, I, I've got a, I have to be very careful. I think this is being recorded. <laughs> even in my family, that we're, we're, there's, there's a lot less in common. We've got very little in common. And we don't meet anymore. So I, don't, I haven't seen my aunt and uncles in 10, 15 years or so. And there is no unity there. We have not been united. There's no central uniting purpose, not even family who's united. In my experience, there is no, no organization, nothing that 
is as widely different and widely diverse as the church. No place where equality and purpose meet so hand in hand. They are all united under Jesus. In this group, you've got people from every nation. In this group of people called the church, we've got rich folk. We've got poor folk. We've got people who love knitting. We've got people who love football. We've got Chelsea fans sitting next to West Ham fans. We've got, in this church, we have people over the age of 70, and we've got loads of kids, mostly mine, under the age of seven. We've got a hugely diverse group of people, and we're all united under Jesus. And the reason we are all united under Jesus is because we are all exactly the same place at the foot of Jesus. We all have nothing to bring to Jesus, only ourselves. We don't come with our credentials. We don't come with our tax returns and look how much money we've made. We don't come with our wealth and our clever ideas. We don't come with any of it. It's worth nothing. We are all exactly the same at ground zero. We bring nothing to the table, and that's why we stand united. Jesus is the one who redeems us. Jesus is the one who centralizes us. Jesus is the one who brings us together. It's all about Jesus. We are all sinners in need of a saviour. We all come to Jesus. Jesus unites us. In fact, if Jesus is not central, then we lose, we lose the reason we are united. And if we lose the reason that we are united, well, then suddenly we, st- we start noticing other people's differences. Well, they're nothing like me. I'm not going to spend time with them because... Because, well, they're nothing like me. They don't share, we don't share common ideas. We don't share similar similarities in our life. But Jesus unites us. These differences will overtake us if Jesus is not central. If we do not sit at Jesus, if Jesus is not the only necessary thing in our lives, then we will very soon become ununited. But being united allows us to have greater influence It reflects God's incredible and diverse nature. It gives us a greater range of gifts and resources as we gather together. And it enables us to reach out to anybody, anywhere. It doesn't matter how far away you are, how weird or obscure you are, how different you are, because we're all the same. We're all the same. We are all sinners in need of a Savior. Jesus unites us. The other thing I said was that Jesus directs us. As we sit at the feet of Jesus, we're a community that has a very clear direction. I remember sat with Jez one evening at his place um, a couple of years ago now, and it was not long after he'd driven past Crossway Centre and felt God say to him, I want you to get this building. This, This building's for you. And I remember his, I remember sat with him in his living room and he was like, I think God's asking us to get a building. I think he's pointed out this one. I drove past the other day. And I remember as we gathered together in the weeks that ensued, I remember gathering at the Seven Sisters pub in the upper room up there. I remember praying together and saying, God, we think you might be giving us a building. Can you direct us? Can you lead us? Can you show us if this is right? And remember the prophecies that came on and came on and came on. People come to you and say, I believe God is calling you to do this. People come and say, uh, yes, I see you doing this. Amazing prophecies. I remember that actually we became more and more sure that actually this was where God was leading us. And then I remember when we said, well, do you know what? Let's meet in the Crossway Center and be deliberate about this. So we started meeting in the Crossway Center to pray and saying, God, if, if this is where you're leading us, please give us this building. And I remember putting in... Well, we remember praying and saying, well, how much, how, how much, and, and can we have it? I remember Jez's conversation with Rose, the Methodist leader, 
And God led him there and, and, and he said, Rose, well, I think I'd like to buy a building of yours. And she then said, oh, great. Well, I'm looking to sell one. And he's like, oh, okay, uh, this is interesting. He said, I don't, think you, I don't think it's the building that you want. I'm, I'm not looking to sell the, the Clinton Center. He's like, well, that's not the one that we want. She said, I'm looking to sell the Crossway Center. That is the one that we want. This is incredible. God is directing us. I remember this journey that we took as a church. God is clearly directing us this way. I remember when we said, well, how much do we offer? How much would we put in? We said, okay, let's put in 425 and see what, see what happens. I remember when they rejected it and we're like, oh, no, God, you've... You seem to be leading us, but what's going on? They're... And then I remember them turning around and saying, actually, this is, this is perfect. God directed us from start to finish. If you speak with Jez about that, he would say, God directed, God led us. When Jesus is central in a church, he directs his church, he leads us. It was a God thing from start to finish. God led us through the, infant, the, the, the conversations. God led us through the numbers and the figures. We jump straight back into Acts, and in Acts 1, verses 24, the church have a decision to make. Again, it's early on, and they're gathered together, and there's only 11 of the disciples of Jesus now. Judas has betrayed Jesus and gone off and hung himself, so now we're left with 11 disciples. But they feel God is saying, actually, there needs to be 12 of you. And so, okay, well, we've got a decision to make. Who are we going to make? Who are we gonna, who are we gonna, what do we do? And so it says this in, um, in chapter 1, verse 24. And they prayed and said, Lord, you know the hearts of all. Show, show, oh, I've lost it. show which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and the apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go his own way. And they cast lots, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven. As I, um, as I prepared this sermon and I, I spent this week sitting down in the evenings trying to write it and trying to, I was, how do I not make this just about prayer? How do I make, I want to make this broader than just come along to our prayer meetings. I mean, I get paid the same whether you come along to a prayer meeting or not. So how do we make this wider than just prayer meetings? But what we see is that every time they face a decision, the early church gather to pray. They put Jesus in the center and say, Jesus, what do we need? Lead us. Show us what to do. And here they say, God, we, uh, show us. We, we're going we're gonna to make this decision. Um, we're going to cast lots. God, can you be in this? Can you be involved in this? And Jesus directs them. The church has a need. They pray to God and allow him to lead. Rather than coming up with their own, going, well, we need 12. Let's just pick out that guy. They come to Jesus. And allow him space to lead. Um, I remember as a, when I was the same age as Levi, my eldest son, um, I was six, and I remember going to Stonely Bible Week, which is a Christian conference. Thousands of Christians gather together to worship, to hear teaching and, and pray. And I remember as a six-year-old being taught this song, prayer is like a telephone for us to talk to Jesus. Prayer is like a telephone for us to talk to God. As we gather together to pray, as we put Jesus in the center of the room, we allow Jesus to occupy it, the center of our community. It's in these times that we get to hear him speak and direct us. Over the years, I've seen him do it in different ways. Sometimes it's obvious. 
Sometimes it's just through casting lots and just saying, we've got a decision, we're going to put this before you. Please show us. If we do this, will you show us? In the way we went for the building, God led us. We saw God leading us bit by bit. As we gathered to pray, he spoke to us through other people. He used the corporate church to speak and encourage. He used prophecies to direct us. And actually, more recently, I've seen how he leads us when we've prayed together with individuals. So Chris and Jill, they last weekend went up to Edinburgh, and their house is now for sale. They're looking to move. They felt on their heart for a while. Actually, God is leading us elsewhere. God is moving us on. So what did they do? They didn't sit in private and just go, well, God, what do you want to do? What? They went to the church and said, we feel God is moving us on. And so the church prayed, and a few individuals prayed with them. And together as a community, they heard God speak. And actually, very clearly, God said, actually, Edinburgh is where I want to send them. See, when the church gathers, when Jesus is central, the church is directed. He directs us. He leads us. Even if it's a case of just picking straws. God leads. We must allow him to direct us. If we don't allow him to direct us, we'll end up with our own directions and try and pick our own directions out of thin air and go, where are you sending us? Are you doing this? Are you doing that? We must allow him to do what he does and direct. Jesus empowers us. So Jesus, <laughs> Jesus unifies us, he directs us, and he empowers us. So far this morning, we've seen that God loves and creates community. And it's in that community that he unites us. It's in that community that he directs us. And fortunately for us, he's the one that empowers us. We read again from Acts, and this time we turn to Acts 4. I'll read from the top. In Acts 4, verse 23, it says, Titles, the believers pray for boldness. It says, when they came, when, when they were released, so um, Peter and John have just been imprisoned for the first time. This was when they were released, they went back to their friends and they reported all that the chief priests and elders had said. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God, said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. But truly, in this city, they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And in verse 29, it says this, And now, Lord, look upon their threats. Grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And then when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Here in Acts, we see that the first signs of persecution taking place against the early church. However, rather than falling apart in disarray, rather than running away, they turn to Jesus. We saw in that prayer, they say, Sovereign Lord. They don't just go, ah, 
O sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and earth, we come to you. We're not going anywhere else. We come to Jesus. Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and earth. This is what a Christ-centered community looks like. Uh, a good friend of mine, Ross, he's also part of this church. He said, we were in the pub one time, and he said this, when someone is under pressure, is then that you find out what's in them, as what is in them is squeezed out. Here in this church, in the book in Acts, we see the church under pressure. The church is facing persecution. They've just had two of their leaders, main leaders, imprisoned. We know that much worse is still to come. In fact, they've seen their own saviour crucified. But rather than running and falling about in disarray, they come straight to sovereign Lord who's in heaven and earth. The early church didn't fall apart, but gathered together and in unity turned to Christ. The next thing that they do that we read in 429 was they prayed for boldness. Jesus empowers his church. He knows their needs and he comes through. We read in that verse 31. When they prayed, the whole place where they gathered together was shaken and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and then they continued to speak the word with boldness. When Jesus is central in a community, he empowers that community, regardless of the situation, regardless of the circumstances. He empowers the community. As we sit at Jesus' feet and we allow him to empower us, to fill us with the Holy Spirit, we are given courage, we are given boldness, He provides us with our needs. In fact, the opposition hasn't gone away. We still face opposition daily. It may not look the same as what it did for them. We don't get thrown in prison in this country. We still get ridiculed by our friends. And do you really believe that? We still need boldness. Every time we go out and say, do you know what? Um, Can I pray for you? I know your leg hurts. I know you've got this, that, and the other. Can I pray for you? We still need boldness. And it's as we gather in a community that we are strengthened together. As we purchase this building in the center of the town, we will face opposition. I don't know if you remember the video that we were plugging for a couple of months saying, uh, this is what we're doing. This is where we're buying. Come on, let's raise the money together. It was something along those lines. And then we put it on Facebook and Various people posted it and shared it and shared it, and it got out there, which is amazing. But there was opposition. I remember one of the comments in the comments section was, Seaford, King's Church for everyone in Seaford, not wanted here. We will face opposition. And if we don't allow Jesus to empower us, we try to derive our strength from our own resources, and we rely on one another, and, just, and that's it. We will grow weary and despondent. We will lose focus and lose strength. It's hard to continue when you face difficulty after difficulty. We need to come back to Jesus, come back just to centralize on Jesus. We know that with him in our midst, we can accomplish anything. Fortunately for us, and this is great news for us as the gathered church, is that Jesus loves his church. Jesus loves this community. Jesus is for us. He is for us. He wants us to succeed. He is praying for us. He's interceding for us. 
And in Luke 10, when we started this morning and where we read last week, we saw that Jesus came into Mary and Martha's home uninvited. He wants to be with us. He wants to be with his friends. He doesn't wait for us to invite him. He doesn't sit twiddling his thumbs and go, well, I wonder when they're going to come to me and ask. He's with us. He says, I want to be with you. Do you want that? Do we want that? We want Jesus central in this church. We need Jesus central in this church. He encourages us to reprioritize. His comment to Martha was, you are troubled and anxious about many things, but one thing is necessary. He recognizes there's troubles. He doesn't say, forget about your troubles and forget about your anxieties. Come to me. He doesn't say that. He says, anxious and troubled about many things. I know that. But he says, Mary's chosen wisely. He says, in all of that, come to me with the worries and the, the things of the world that can destroy us, that get inside us, that cause us to niggle away at us. Jesus says, don't forget about them. Just prioritize. Just get Jesus at the front and you will see things in a different light, from a different perspective. With Jesus at the center of his gathered church, we gain things from his perspective. The remedy for us is to not, well, it's to stop. It's just to stop and to allow Jesus to have that first place in our hearts. Allow Jesus to have that first place every time we gather. It's something that as a lead worshiper, every time I lead worship, is, do you know, it's really easy to sing five songs and not one of them be about Jesus. It's really easy. And so we have to be deliberate every time we plan a time of worship. And there's something I tell other lead worshipers is every time we plan a time of worship, make sure you get Jesus in there. Otherwise, you're just singing boyfriend songs that you could easily translate into anyone. You know, I love you, I need you. Well, I could sing that to Abby. We need Jesus to be central every time we gather. Every time we gather. I, uh, in fact, Jez sent out a, um, a PDF, a, a, a piece of paper with how to preach. It's <laughs> like, so, thanks, that's helpful. And one of the things was it's easy to preach synagogue sermons. It's easy to preach sermons where Jesus is not included. Easy to preach self-help sermons. But we need Jesus at the central of every sermon that we speak, of every prayer meeting that we gather. Every, every time we lead worship, we need Jesus in every song. Jesus is central. It's why we are here. It's he that unifies us. It's he that directs us. And it's he that empowers us. As we gather together at Jesus' feet, we become those who are a positive influence in the world. Our families, where Jesus is central. We have marriages that love one another, love one another that reflect God's diverse uh, companionship. We, we see children raised in a home where, where there is the security of having parents, the security of a mother and a father. We see neighborhoods where people say there's something entirely different about this family. They don't seem to worry the way we worry. And people notice change. I've been working with a guy for five years who is a gardener alongside me. And he said to me over the last five years, John, there is something that is I, I, it was a, a really exciting moment because he's so opposed to faith. It's unreal. But he said to me one time, in fact, it was this year, he said, John, there's something very different about you. He said, something mature. And I'm not, gonna blow, I'm, not, I'm not saying I'm a super mature guy. I'm working on that. But there's something different about people that have been in the presence of Jesus. There's something different about people that sit and make time to sit at Jesus' feet. 
in our town, as we gather and we meet in the center of our town, there will be something different about us. As we have our open doors and say, anybody's welcome. It doesn't matter who you are, what your background is, what has happened in the past. We're all the same. We are all bring nothing to the table. It's Jesus that unites us. Jesus that directs us. Jesus that empowers us. We haven't got some hidden agenda that's very clever and you don't realize about it. Jesus, every time. And as we build a church that is centered on Jesus, it will spill out. That's what happened with this gospel 2,000 years ago. It started in a room with 70-odd maybe 100-odd Christians, and it's spilt out. Within the, chap- within the chapters we've been reading this morning in Acts, suddenly the church grows by 3,000 on like the first sermon. This gospel is unstoppable. This hope of the world, Jesus, is unstoppable. It's not losing momentum anytime soon. Jesus is in charge. Jesus is in control. Jesus loves us, loves our community, and is with us every time we gather. we just got to let him be there. God, make sure that every time we worship, every time we sing, every time we meet, we're saying, here because of Jesus. Amen. Let's, um, let's, I just want to finish by praying. Um, the band are going to come up. So, Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have decided to dwell among us. Uh, I love that you have decided not to share your gospel with the, the, the only the very clever people, but you choose to share it with absolutely anybody and everybody doesn't matter how stupid or unwise we may feel or how uh, we don't feel like we fit the right equation or whatever it looks like. God, we come to you. You accept us just as we are. We are all the same before you. And you allow us to meet with you in the center of this room. God, we pray that you would empower this church, that you would continue to direct this church, and that you would keep us united together with you at the very centre. In Jesus' name, amen.